The following message was preached at Flint Hill Baptist Church. We would love for you to join us on Sundays for life groups and worship, or on Wednesdays for adult Bible study, kids, and youth activities. For more information, visit flinthill.net. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Uh, it's good. To, I'm sorry. I looked up, saw someone back there. I'm like, hey, how are you doing? Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, it, <clears throat> we did enjoy uh, the opportunity. We, we had the opportunity to go spend some time with Paula's mom. And I actually got, got to go to church with her last Sunday, which was a neat opportunity for us. Um, and again, I just want to praise the Lord for what God has been doing here and through the Bible study, I mean, through the Vacation Bible School. And I want to share a couple things before I get to the message. If you want to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, we're going to look at the church at Thyatira in just a moment. Uh, but before I do that, I want, to, I want to say a couple things here. One, some of you have already heard, but we're going to start this Wednesday's just introduction, but we're going to start on Wednesday night doing this little Bible study, um, Seven Realities for Experiencing God. How to Know and Do the Will of God by Henry and Richard Blackaby. And uh, uh, Richard, we're going to be with him in September uh, at a conference here in Birmingham. But Henry Blackaby is somebody, honestly, is just, uh, and I've shared this with some of you, has just impacted my life personally. But it, but it goes beyond that. I begin to think about what the Lord has been doing here uh, at Flint Hill. I mean, in particularly in the last, you know, eight months to a year. And no doubt about it, God is calling us to intimacy with Him, back to Him. And, and I say that, some, for some of you it might be seeming strange, but, but when, we talk, when we look into the Scriptures, uh, God is a personal God and personally loves you. And Jesus personally died on that cross, yes, for the sins of the world, but for you personally. And when you come to faith in Christ, it's a personal Lord and Savior. It's a personal knowing of Him, as Paul said, in the power of His resurrection. And uh, and so uh, Jesus himself said, if you'll abide in him, that means you're intimate with him. If you'll abide in him, you'll bear much fruit. And that means much for the individual Christian, but it also means much for us as a church. God is calling us, and I'm just saying this, I mean, you know, it doesn't take a rocket science, but God has been inviting us, let me say it that way, to move back to a place of in, uh, intimacy and abiding in him. And over these last six months, really since January, God has just continued to bless in so many ways. Some of you have uh, had joined the church. In fact, this year, so far, we've had 20 people join the church, five of them through baptisms. And I just want to praise the Lord. I mean, and really, what it is, and I tell people all the time, I said, look, God's got to call you to come. There are some of you here today that I know that you're uh, maybe seeking the Lord. God, is this where, God, you want me to be? Is this where you're calling me to live my life, to, to join arms with other brothers and sisters and serve the Lord? And I would say, seek Him. Know from Him. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. No doubt about it. God's calling us back to intimacy. And if, let me say this. If God is calling you, then come. Make that public. I, I thought about that this week. I love a public profession of faith. It's beautiful, right? I mean, I remember I was 19 years old, and some of y'all went down on that mission feud down to Mobile. And uh, College Park Baptist Church, still there, sits right outside the gates of Mobile. And I went down as a 19-year-old and made public my profession of faith in Christ. Did I understand that fully? No. But there was something moving in me. I will tell you the Spirit of God to walk down that aisle 
and tell that preacher. I don't remember his name. I don't remember anything about him. I was crying all the way down, and I, t- I walked up to him. He looked at me, and uh, all I could get out is, I love Jesus. And uh, they were having family day, and I guess he thought I was struggling with family day away from home. But anyway, but I, but I, but there was, why do we do that? Because Jesus said, make it known. Be public in your profession of faith. Confess him publicly. So, you know, if God's calling you to unite with this church, then praise the Lord, right? Make that public. Say, God's calling me. Come on down. When we have our invitation here in just a moment. Um, so I, I'm re, I rejoice in that. I, I will say that our mission fuge this year was a beautiful testimony of God's grace and what God's been at work in our lives. Um, Nathan, I know Nathan's here, but I, I, I want to say we took 12 students. I, 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 I don't know where Nathan is. There he is. Is that right? I'm looking at him. Okay. Um, and it's a beautiful thing. And God is continuing. Let, let me say this. I, many of you, let me pause here. There's much I probably want to say this morning. Many of you were here for VBS. Every night, even before the nights began, laboring intensely, doing all kind of work. Y'all remember that? I mean, the show, the pageantry. I mean, it was unbelievable. But it, beyond that, the spiritual impact, we may not ever know on this side of heaven, what took place those five nights. When Fisher preached the gospel that night, brother, you know, people gave their life to Jesus. But there were many more that were encouraged in the Lord. There were, there were many that were in this auditorium, in this sanctuary, that have never shared their face faith publicly, that were encouraged and convicted by the Spirit of God. There are going to be people sharing their faith because you shared your faith on that night. So I say that, to God be the glory. I mean, I, we may not understand fully, but I, but I want to say, praise the Lord for what God has been doing. And what is God doing? God's calling us back to a place of intimacy. To, and and, 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 and in, in addition to that is depending on Him. Trusting in Him. That's a... That's a, that's a that's a, that's a wonderful thing a preacher should, would say, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. Look to Him, and He'll make straight your path. It's another thing when you're called to the task. Will I personally, will we corporately trust in the Lord? Will we depend on Him for everything and anything? That's a tall order and a Great task. And I will say, a church that wants to bring glory to God will depend on Him for anything and everything. Uh, in, in your bulletin, there was a little handout this morning about the financial overview for the first six months. And I just want to praise the Lord. You can see that on the tithes and missions. God, to God be the glory. More's come in that went out. To God be the glory. Can I praise Him? I mean that sincerely, right? Uh, and it's a matter of trust. Many of you have been a part of that process. You understand. You've been in church long enough. Everything that God gives is by faith, and we trust in Him. And God has been so good. Um, I, I will say to you, there's an outline here, but I, I, one thing on the back of there, it tells you the actuals and expenses. But a couple things here. I mean, if you've been here long enough, you know this has been the summer of AC work. I don't know if you... Jeff Russell's not here this morning, but I thank the Lord for him and his work and his team and people. Uh, but I, I, I lost count of how many AC units have been worked on or <laughs> replaced or need to be replaced. Um, but I, but I want to praise God that He continues to meet every need we have according to His riches and glory. Um, the youth room renovation. I, I hope you've been up there. I mean, we let, let me say it this way. I believe God wants us to support personally, practically, fervently, student ministry, children's ministry, uh, that's, I mean, God's called us to that task. That's who we are. That's why we, we, we got in, in Jesus' name, going to step out and have been stepping out in college and career. Why? Because it's important. 
It doesn't mean that us as adults aren't important and we need to start more Bible study. Yes, we do, and we have those things coming. But there's something special in the heart of God for, for, for us to be intentional to support, to go after, to do everything we can to encourage children and students, and yes, college students and career age students, to know Christ and to grow in, in the Lord. And I, and I just want to rejoice that the, the renovation up there, God blessed tremendously, and I just want to praise Him. Um, I share all this, why? Because God's at work in so many different ways. But make no mistake, God's calling us, me and you, us, all of you that might identify yourself as us at Flint Hill Baptist Church, to intimacy, to dependence on Him. If you think for one minute, m minute that you did this because of what you did or what you give, then we're missing the point completely. And we're not there yet. Don't get me wrong. I mean, good night. This is a work in progress. God's not done with the work that He wants to do. In fact, I believe God is still just initiating this trusting in Him and depending on Him and looking to Him. I, I, I invite you to come. I challenge you to come. If you can't be it on Wednesday night, just buy the book on Amazon. Walk through it yourself. I had the joy this uh, past weekend to see a dear friend, Brian Argo. Some of y'all know him. Uh, he, he's a colleague of Gavin and others and Randy. Uh, but he's re renovating the refreshing or whatever you want to call it, the sign for Franklin Field for us. And I, and I rejoice in that. But more importantly, can I just share with you, he goes to a church down there. Actually, he's a worship pastor. And you know what the Lord, I mean, I know, this, this is going to surprise you. You know what the Lord's doing in their heart as a congregation? Calling them back to dependence and intimacy in the Lord. Does it shock you when we went to the men, all, all my men in here, all, all, all of us that went to the men's conference? What was God doing? He was calling us back to intimacy and dependence on Him. Holy living, yes but intimacy and dependence. There's one Lord, one Savior, one church, one body, and He has a plan and a mission for His people today. And yet we're Flint Hill. We're a piece of that body of Christ. But God's got a plan and a purpose. I, I say this to encourage us. I really believe we're right where the Lord wants us to be as a church. There's much work to be done. And by the way, I didn't do this to get out of the work day. I've heard that from multiple folks already. Quite, I know, I know. And yes, yes, I have faced uh, 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 a judgment in my own house from my own daughter who believes, oh, whatever, it's just a torn ligament. Okay. It didn't snap in two, you know, like some of us. Maybe you've been blessed to have an ACL break in half on you or something like that. So everything is related to that. So yes, I was here yesterday trying but not much happening on my end. But I, I do want to say thank you. Uh, I lost count. I think about 19 people were up here just working just so amazing uh, under the Lord. And I'm so grateful. So I, I share all this uh, with you. To, really, uh, Royce would have probably shared some of this. But he had a procedure. He's not here today. Mallory might would have shared or something like that. But anyway, um, God has been so good to us in so many ways and, and blessed us. And I... And I and I don't want us to take that for granted. I think, I think one of the most difficult things for a Christian or for a church to do is to stay, in, to stay intimate and dependent on the Lord. Let's look at Thyatira right here in, in Revelation chapter 2. The messages we've been looking at here in the book of Revelation have been, um, quite honestly, very sobering and very very strong messages to us, I, I, at least to me. I don't know about to you. 
But the Lord has a word for the churches here in Asia Minor, and he, and he delivers this word through the Apostle John. And he sends this word through messengers back to the churches there. And today, let's read the word of God out of Revelation chapter 2 to the church of Thyatira. In verse 18, the Bible says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? These, these are the words of the Son of God. Look at this description. Whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, by her teaching, she misleads my servants and into sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering or sickness. And I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely or face tribulation, unless they repent of their ways. And I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know. That I am he who searches hearts and minds and will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden to you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would help us. Let your word fall among us today. God, we need to hear this word today. Open our hearts, open our ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation chapter 2, the church at Thyatira. Uh, just a couple things real quickly. The city uh, was conquered and annexed by Rome about 190. And they, they began to uh, uh, enjoy a lot of what they call the Roman peace or a lot of prosperity. They, they actually were... were um, Kind of an obscure city in one sense, not like maybe some of the other churches or cities that, that we've already looked at. Uh, but they, 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 they were settled on this road in between the north and the south. They were kind of right smack in the middle. And before Rome conquered them, that was a problem because they didn't have any fortified areas around them. There were no mountains around them, so they were like sitting ducks. And everybody beat them up and conquered them left and right. But when Rome took over, uh, everything settled down and they enjoyed a lot of prosperity at that time. I, I will remind you, Thyatira, Thyatira's main industry was the production of wool or dyed goods. Y'all probably remember this from Lydia. Uh, remember, she was from Thyatira, and she dealt with purple uh, dye and, and, and clothing. And she would have most likely been a representative from their, one of their labor groups or guilds that they would have had. Best we can tell is they had a lot of labor. We would call them unions or groups that, for various things. Um, in fact, most, most Christian or commentators here would say that the, the, per, the persecution and the pressure that Christians faced in Thyatira came not from, remember we've talked a lot about emperor worship and they had to bow down, remember Polycarp and others. It wouldn't have come from that. It would have come from these guilds or these labor unions. In other words, to hold a job or to run a business in Thyatira meant you had to be a member of this group. And each group had a patron deity that they worshipped. And they were intentional on that. In other words, you had to be a part of the meat sacrifice to idols. You had to be engaged in their uh, practices, which may have include, which did include sexual immorality. So in other words, Christians who might have been business owners or, or laborers faced this dilemma. Do I attend those or do I lose my livelihood? And they had to make that decision. The church, as the cases with Smyrna and Pergamum, the Bible didn't record its founding. I, I mentioned to you Lydia came to faith in Christ, most likely... Um, her family, 
came to faith in Christ could have, could have possibly been a part of planting the church there in Thyatira. Uh, most people think that Paul probably did it under his ministry in Ephesus. Ephesus was the epicenter of his ministry and was there for quite some time. Most likely people from that region travel back and forth, and that's how the church came to be. Now, uh, real quickly here, let's look at Christ's description because it's a strong one. Uh, we see here in verses, what is this, verse 18, the description of Christ. It says, the words of the Son of God. The Son of God. The first and foremost thing, this is the only time this phrase is used in Revelation. Well, let's take notice. It emphasizes Christ's deity. It stresses the truth that He is one and of the same with the Father. He is the one true living God. Period. He's not a little God underneath God the Father. No, He is of the same. We talk about the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He is the exact representation of God. He is God clothed in humanity. Uh, let me remind you, uh, there were times in His earthly ministry, uh, you remember the time when, when the, the man was lowered through the roof, and He turned to him and says, Your sins are forgiven. Well, the people there knew there was only one that could forgive sin. It's not some man, it's not some teacher, it's not some uh, 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 teacher of the law. They might would have seen Jesus, but only God forgives sin. And he said, oh, just to, just to be clear, because he knew this. Y'all remember, y'all remember this, what happened. He said, just to be clear that everybody understands that I have the authority and the power to forgive sin. He said, get up and take your mat and go home. And he got up and left. So I will say to you, what sent him to the cross was the religious folks really thought he was outside his mind because he claimed to be God in the flesh. Christianity is, upholds that truth. Christ is God in the flesh. The Son of God speaks to His deity, His power, His holiness. Where the Son of Man title, which has been given several times, emphasizes His humiliation or sympathy with those that were uh, believers, and particularly here in Revelation, those that are suffering from great persecution. But to the church at Thyatira, he says, I'm the Son of God. And to that, he adds, eyes that flame with fire. As the divine Son of God, MacArthur says, Jesus Christ has eyes that flame with fire. In other words, they're piercing, laser-like vision. He sees all and knows all. Nothing can be disguised, covered, or hidden from his eyes. Describing Jesus Christ in the second coming, John in Revelation 19 says, well, His eyes are flame like fire. It's a reference to Daniel 10. Here it is. A church may feel satisfied with itself. Have a good reputation in the community or even with other churches, but the penetrating eyes of the Lord sees it as it really is. Not only does he have eyes like fire, flaming fire, but feet like burnished bronze. They're polished, they're shiny, they're incredibly brilliant. It's a description reminiscent of Revelation 19 where it says that Christ treads on the winepress with the fierce anger of the wrath of God Almighty. His feet are glowing and burnished bronze depicts what? His purity and His holiness to trample out any kind of impurity among His church. The word that he brings to Thyatira is one that is strong and necessary. Now, like he's done in these other places, he commends them for their faith and their love. Or actually, he says love first and then faith. Unlike the church at Ephesus, as you know, they forsook their first love. They were extremely religious, did all their wonderful things, but they forsake their first love. 
He looks down at the church at Thyatira and he begins to see, no, there are some there that are holding true. They really do love the Lord. They love me. And they're faithful. That word, uh, faith literally means fidelity. It means faithfulness. In other words, they were dependable. They were reliable. They were consistent. Oftentimes we see these two words linked together, faith and love. Out of these two words grow perseverance. Remember what he says right here. He says, look, I know your faith and love, your service, your perseverance. You're doing what? More now than you did at first. It makes sense, doesn't it? A church that loves the Lord, a church that is faithful to the Lord, sees the needs among God's people and the needs that are around them. And what do they do? They go out to meet those needs. It just makes sense. And so what? Even here in Thyatira, what are they, they're doing more than what they did at first. So he commends them for that. But he has some great concerns. Really rebukes and indictments. Despite all of this, here's what he says. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is un. Willing. Now it's interesting, MacArthur makes a statement where he says, I have this against you, that you, that you that we see in the English is singular. Sometimes in the in the in the English, when you read the word you, it's plural, but it's singular. Some indicate this that he was calling out the leadership in Thyatira. Could have been the pastor, the lay leaders, whoever it might have been, the leadership in the church. In other words, he says, I have this against you, leaders. This is a strong warning and a rebuke against those that may pastor or teach or lead in God's church. We will be held accountable for what we teach and preach. And he's saying, look, I have this against you. You tolerate this. In other words, there's several things here when we talk about this this concern or this rebuke that Christ has. You can go to the next slide. The first thing is this. There's an, etern- there's an internal compromise. In other words, let, let me say it again. The, the threat, the persecution was not coming from the outside in Thyatira. In fact, yes, the guilds were there. Yes, there was some of the labor unions. Yes, but what the rebuke is here to the church at Thyatira is not from the outside, but from the inside. The leadership had allowed this woman, this self-imposed prophetess, to teach, and not just to teach, but teach error, and to lead God's people into all kind of gross immorality. It led them away from the truth. There was an an internal compromise. They departed from the truth of the Lord. Let, let, Let me say it this way. God's called us to love Him first and foremost, no doubt about it. Love Him first and foremost. But loving God is not a substitute for living according to His Word. All of a sudden, God's people in Thyatira, they, yes, they were, some were loving Him, but they had departed from the truth of His Word. There was an internal compromise. It was a slippery slope that led them down a road to gross immorality. In fact, every time you see God's people that say they love the Lord, but they don't honor Him with their life or, or in, their, in, in the truth, There's always a compromise. There's always a leading into immorality. Friend, this is no different what happens today. Guys, I don't have time this morning, but y'all know better than I do. Some of y'all keep up with it better than I do. Churches, denominations, out of what? Love for, they say, the Lord. And for people, they have compromised the truth of God's Word. 
And it's led that whole group into immorality. There was an eternal compromise here in Thyatira. Not only that, but it wasn't just an eternal compromise. In other words, a, 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 a departing from it. But it was a perversion of the truth. I mean, the word against this woman, we don't know her name. He associates her, the, the Lord calls her Jezebel in reference to the Old Testament, who was a wicked woman that led God's people astray, that hated God, hated God's people. And in the same way, the Lord calls this woman Jezebel. And, and we don't know specifically how she per, perverted the truth that was presented. But we know the outcome. The outcome was immorality. In fact, sexual immorality, perversion, or eating food sacrificed to idols, which means giving their heart and their worship to idols. So we see this. But, but now some have speculated. What, what, what could have led them down that road? We've seen some of this already in some of the churches in Asia Minor. First and foremost, they could have had this kind of Greek philosophy that says this. It's kind of a sense of a, uh, that the flesh doesn't matter. It's all about the spirit. Many call it a, a, like, a, like a dualism. In other words, the spirit's good, but the flesh is evil. In other words, since God is only concerned about the spirit, we can do whatever we want with the flesh, and it doesn't matter. Friend, let me say to you, that, I mean, this same lie persists today. I've heard it said, you know, a lot of folks come into the church and they have this love affair with Jesus. They come in and sing songs, man, beautiful songs this morning. Ooh, I don't know what it is about music, but I get to moving a little bit. I don't know why. I even watch those wedding videos from Joshua's, and my boys got it too. The music, the music started, we both swaying back and forth, left and right. I don't know what it is. Uh, but I've heard people say it's like a love affair. Like we come into the church on Sunday and we sing these songs and all that. But then we go back out there into the world in which we live. And it's like we don't even think about the Lord until the next Sunday. Maybe she proposed that. Maybe this so-called prophetess who was allowed to teach maybe led people astray in that way and said, Hey, you know, it doesn't really matter. Spirit's okay. The flesh is uh, evil. It doesn't really matter. God's not concerned. And that's not true. That's a departing from the truth of God's word. Some have even suggested that she took an, a, a position that Paul even encountered. You see this in the book of Romans in particular. That some people said, well, we're saved by God's grace. So his law doesn't matter anymore. Right? Fancy words, antinomianism. In other words, they didn't believe that the law mattered to our lives anymore. We're, we're saved by grace and grace alone. And the law doesn't matter the, the unfortunate part about that, if you, if you propose that and you don't have truth in your life, then anything will be truth to you. Jesus himself said this very clearly. He said, I am the way, the life, and the truth. Jesus is truth. The Holy Spirit of God in our life is truth. Maybe she proposed that. Maybe she led people down that road. No, make no mistake, she led people into immorality. Anytime you depart from God's word or God's truth, you can always look at the outcome because God's people leave the truth of God and exchange it for a lie and leads to immorality. When the Lord addresses the church at Thyatira, not only is he concerned about the perversion of this truth, but he brings divine judgment upon them. This is a sobering reality. Can you imagine? I, I often think about this. I've been thinking about this as I preach these messages here out of Revelation. What would it have been like if I would have been sitting there on that day in Thyatira? 
What would it have been like? When the the letter was read, when these words were first spoken to the congregation, what would it have felt like, been like in that moment? Make no mistake, God loves His people and His church, and He'll do anything to protect her. His divine judgment is coming to the church at Thyatira. And of course, we're looking back in history. They're hearing this message. And I will say to you, in the midst of this, because some people, all they can see is the judgment of God, but I'm going to tell you, see the grace of God throughout this passage. How many times did He allow this woman to repent and she just refused to repent? How many times has He approached the church and He says, look, those that suffer, you're going to suffer intensely unless you repent. On and on again, He's allowing God's people to acknowledge what they're doing is wrong. To repent. I, I, my concern for us today, and I, this is a general statement, not to you personally, but to us, that we, think, that we think repentance is a bad word. Like somehow we just have made it out to be, oh no, that's only for those really bad people. They repent. But man, repentance is part of living life. I mean, unless you never do anything wrong. I mean, I, you know, maybe that's you. I don't know. I certainly do. I'm certainly in need of God's grace. We're saved by grace through faith, and we live by grace through faith. But God has called us to His truth. And oftentimes in those moments, in those situations, we are called to repent. We see the grace of God throughout this. But make no mistake, His divine judgment is coming to the church at Thyatira. He uses a word to describe this woman, Jezebel. In fact, he says, I've given her plenty of time to repent but she's unwilling, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering or sickness. In the original text, that suffering or sickness is is kind of a connotation there. The bed most likely is a reference to death. The place of the dead. Most most likely a reference to hell. It's hard to imagine, but even here, I mean, we're only talking 40-50 years from the resurrection of Christ. A person has come into the church who doesn't even know Christ and has esteemed herself to a place of leadership, to teaching, albeit error, not the Word of God, not in truth with God's Word. But it's, a, it's just a shocking to me. Or should it be shocking? I don't know. I mean, I will say this, the devil has a way of trying to lead God's people astray. And it makes sense, does it not, that, God, uh, that, that the devil will try to disguise himself as somebody, as an angel of light? And here in Thyatira, he raises up this person who doesn't even know the Lord. By the context here, she's going to be judged literally to hell unless she repents. And let me say, unless any of us repent and trust Christ, you're going to hell. That doesn't make me a bad person. I'm not. Please hear me. My heart breaks for that. I want people to come to faith in Christ. The context is different when he talks about those that she in the, in, in the very next verse he says, I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent. He uses a different word in his judgment upon them. The sense is these are genuine believers, brothers and sisters in Christ that have been led astray. Don't get me wrong, there's still judgment. It's not for your salvation. It's not like you're going to be going to hell. But you're going to suffer the consequences. He goes on to say, it's even, it gets even more severe. I mean, he says, I'm going to strike her children in. It's not her biological children, it's her spiritual children. In fact, most will say, by this time, the church is about 40 or 50 years old. There's a second generation of those that have followed the waywardness of this woman. There's now another generation that is raised up going down this road of immorality and idolatry. 
And the Lord makes a strong statement. And it reminds me of Acts chapter 5. If you want to read that chapter later on. When Ananias and Sapphira wanted to come and act like they were giving all their offering unto the Lord when they really weren't. They were lying to the Lord and lying to God's people. And God took swift and imminent judgment upon them. Let me just remind all of us, this is not all there is to life. It's, you know, eternal life. And it seems, it does it not, I mean, maybe it strikes me and you as, oh my goodness, would the Lord really do that? Yeah. 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 You know, I I often think about that because some people hang on to that and they go, I don't know, man, he just seems so mean and hateful. Friend, he has a pure love that none of us really even understand. He has a passionate love that will protect his children, his people, his bride, his church, relentlessly. The picture here of blazing fire and feet burnished with bronze is one who's coming with power and glory. I don't know if you realize this, he loves you and me that much. He cares for me and you that much. That Yes, 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 he loves us so much that if we choose to walk down a road, whether ignorantly, unknowingly, or purposely, you know what he's going to do? He's going to come get us. He's going to rain conviction in our heart. It's not that he's mad. He wants us to what? To repent. There's that word again. Why? Whoo, man. For times of refreshing are coming. When God's people turn back to him. It's a strong word in the church at Thyatira. Divine judgment is coming. He does give a word to those that did not bend their knee to this erroneous teaching or to this idolatry and immorality. And he tells them to hold on, hold fast. That's the command he gives them. The word there in the Greek, interesting enough, indicates that it would not be easy. In other words, to hold on, to hold fast, to hold true to the Word of God, to the truth of who we really are in Christ, to the truth theologically. It's not going to be easy. In fact, judgment comes to the church at Thyatira, but the Christians, I mean, they're having to suffer as well in the midst of it, but he's reminding them, just hang on, hang on, hold on, hold steadfast to the truth. Let me remind y'all, men, some of y'all were at the prayer breakfast back in February. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the armor of God. The first and foremost part of that armor is the belt of Yeah, truth. When a church has no truth, well, God really has no place for you anymore. He encourages them to hold on to the truth. We don't really know what all happened here. You know, that's what we don't know is the other side of the story. I would love to believe that a revival took place in Thyatira and people turned back to the Lord and all these things. We really don't know. What we do know, history tells us this. In the second century, this church in Thyatira fell prey to a, what they call a Montanist movement or heresy. In other words, this false prophet came in, claimed to have all this revelation apart from God's Word and Scripture. And by the end of the second century, there was no more church in Thyatira. The judgment of the Lord. It's a sobering reality for us. And I, again, I just preach God's Word. This is God's Word, and it's true. And God is really calling us, what, back to intimacy and dependence on Him. Is that going to be easy? No. Does that mean there's going to be challenges? Does that mean there's going to be teachings all around us, even uh, uh, around us, maybe even in this fellowship or out around us in your workplace and life and that is erroneous? Yes. You know what's imperative for me and you? To hang on to this truth. I really believe the Bible is the Word of God. I believe that with all my heart. I believe it's His Word. 
It's living and active. And listen, if we're not standing on His Word, we're not standing on much at all. He's given us this Word for us. To stand firm, to stand true in this world in which we live today. Can I, can I ask you a question? Maybe this is too personal. How important is the truth of God for you personally? I know my little headdress keeps flopping around. Can y'all hear me? How important is God's truth in your life? Let me rephrase that. How often do you open up your heart and your mind unto the Lord and to His Word and say, God, speak to me. God, cleanse me. God, I need to hear from you today. He's still speaking. How often do we do that? You know, I couldn't help this week in, my, in, in that little devotional, Henry Blackerby's devotional, I couldn't help. I had notes there from way back. Gavin, I don't remember when we went to Wales. I mean, I remember going to Wales, but I don't remember the year. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's not the point. It's been a long time ago. We were out in Bridge Inn, Wales. And what's interesting is we did vacation Bible school. And it was amazing. And God moved. I mean, the 9 to 11-year-olds, I can't remember. I lost count. 12 to 14 of those Children came to faith in Christ during that week. We served in a place in that little Gar Valley. Uh, less than 100 years earlier, the Welch Revival took the lands. Burned across the land. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people came to faith in Christ. When we were there, less than 100 years later, I only know of two Christian churches in the whole valley where we were. See, the story of Thyatira is, I mean, it happens still today. When God's people depart from God's truth, the judgment of God falls upon the house of the Lord. If God's people refuse to repent, then He has no place for you anymore. It's a strong word for us. I hope you hear from the Lord. I hope you're hearing this. God's calling us back to Him. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you right now. It's a strong word. It's a strong word this morning. Quite honestly, it's not one that I want to even think about. But Lord, it's, it's your word. And you've called me to preach this word and to present it to your people who are called by your name. Even in that context in 2 Chronicles 7.14, is that two-letter word, if, at the beginning of that scripture. God, can I just ask you right now, Lord, that you would move on our hearts? And it wouldn't be an if, it wouldn't be a question, it wouldn't be conditional, but God, that we would wholeheartedly, sincerely turn to you, trust in you, come back to you. God, I pray that you would give us a resolve in our heart, that we would want to know the truth of your word. God, that your, that your truth would be first and foremost in our hearts. God, that we would love you personally and passionately, but we would also love your word. God, I pray that you'd bring these two together in our hearts. God, let us be a fellowship that, that lives out our lives in worship, Impurity and holiness, compassion, 
God, I just really sense right now that you're wanting to call some of us back to yourself. Lord, would you just have your way? I, I pray you'd have your way in this, this time, this moment of invitation right now. God, be glorified, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me, church. We're going to sing a song. I want to invite you, church. If God so moves on your heart, you come.